Amen, amen, amen. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you today. Hey, do me a favor as the band is making their way down. Will you turn to somebody on your left and say you picked a good morning to be in church? Some of y'all love this. Some of y'all hate this. Now, here what comes next. Turn to your right. You picked a good morning to be in church. That's right. You did. You sure did. In case you were in doubt, you picked a good Sunday to be in church because we are kicking off a brand new sermon series today. And if you were here last week, Allie talked about the power of story and how stories kind of work and operate in the human brain to help us kind of understand life more clearly. And then she talked about how all of Scripture kind of forms one larger story that we're a part of. And as I was sitting there listening to this, I was like, God, this is a really good idea. We should just keep going. Like, so I got excited about it. And I'm like, well, let me just turn one idea into like six ideas. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of how to live a better story. Because no matter your source, no matter who you place your trust in, who you look to for inspiration, guidance, and advice in life, there are all sorts of ideas about the type of story that you should be, that you could be living. And I think that kind of if you go to the marketplace of wisdom and guidance for how to live a great story, I think really there's only one that kind of stands the test of time that rises above the rest in terms of the depth and the quality and the nuance of wisdom and guidance on how to live the best possible story. And I think that's the Christian faith. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be wrestling with this idea of how to live a better story. Now, the reason, kind of piggybacking on Allie's sermon last week, and if you missed it, go back and watch it or listen to it. We have podcasts and we all do all that stuff. But the reason that stories are so powerful is because they give us a framework to understand our lives through. They help life become clearer simpler because through the context of a story we understand kind of the movement and what's going to happen next there's no ambiguity there's no uncertainty and even if there's a moment of uncertainty we know that at the end of the story the movie the tv show the book it eventually resolves in some way shape or form so even if you feel like the emotion and the tension of what's happening in the story you know that it's going to continue to progress now you contrast that with our own lives And sometimes it doesn't really feel like we're living in the midst of a story. It feels like we're just in the midst of like things that happen to us and things that we choose to do. And there's not really any kind of coherence. There's not any plot structure. And sometimes life can feel really hard and really confusing and really foreign and strange. Particularly in moments of great tragedy or grief or like kind of conflict. Whether it's, you know, transitioning from one grade to the next and entering to a new school, navigating a relationship or a series of relationships. Uh, It could be employment, kind of navigating the workplace, getting laid off unexpectedly, or having kind of a difficult manager that you're trying to kind of navigate that relationship with, or even a difficult employee, or even our own health stuff. There's lots of different kind of arcs in our own life that don't seem to follow a clean path. And so we love stories for the way that they help simplify and clarify the life that we're living. In fact, it's through story that we can oftentimes like gain insight and wisdom as to what we should do in our own life. I'll give you a really kind of quick example. Now, this morning I was walking my dog really, really early in the morning. And we're going down by the high school, and and I let her off leash, and don't tell anybody, and don't send me an email, but I let her off leash. She's really well behaved. And we were doing this whole walk, and then all of a sudden, I see something move through the shadow. And I was like, oh, that looks like a coyote. 
It's like, uh-oh. So I call my dog over. And then I see this coyote kind of goes this way. And then I see another one kind of move this way. And I'm like, oh, now we have coyotes, plural, multiple coyotes. And so the risk level was actually really low because my dog's bigger than the coyotes and I'm bigger than the coyotes. And I was like, we got a fair chance. But my brain immediately went to all of the adventure stories and all of the like survival movies that I've seen through my life informing what should I do in this moment. Stories impart and inform information. And so I placed myself, okay, I need to make sure I have a, you know, an avenue of escape, a way I can get out. And if they get close, how would I attack? We do all of this kind of subconsciously and instinctually. Now, it may not be coyotes in your life, but there are situations in which you lean on story to help you make sense of and create meaning in your own life and try to navigate these situations. Now, one of the things that has happened over the last several years is a lot of study and research has been done about stories, as Allie pointed out last week. And one of the things that I think is most interesting is not only do stories provide clarity, uh, but we are gravitated to stories. We consume them. Just last year alone, internationally, companies spent over 250 billion, with a B, dollars to develop and to create stories for us to consume. Movies, books, TV shows, $250 billion for us to consume. We can't get enough of stories. We're always looking for, hey, what, what, what show should I watch? Are you watching a good show? Should I watch that show? Tell me about that show. Have you seen a good movie lately? We're always asking, have you read a good book? Tell me about the last book you read. We're always in search of a new story to kind of place ourselves into. Now, there was a researcher who kind of decided to understand what makes a story compelling or what makes um, the way that we talk to people and the way that we advertise compelling. And he did a bunch of research, and he took like over 100 Super Bowl commercials. And in his research, he was trying to figure out why certain commercials work and certain commercials fail. And what he noticed was that the commercials that tell the clearest story far and away were more like shared, more distributed, had a greater following and kind of greater kind of clamor around it than the, than the commercials that fell, failed to tell a clear story. And out of like over 100 different Super Bowl commercials that this researcher studied, he found one that rose above all of the rest in the way that it conveyed a story that we were able to gravitate to, that we felt something about, and of course, it went viral. You don't want to see this commercial? Okay, let me show it to you. Well, you only need the light when it's burning low. Only miss the sun when it starts to snow Only know you love her when you let her go Only know you've been high when you're feeling low Only hate the road when you're missing home Only know you love her when you let her go And you let her go Makes you want to cheer, right? We get sucked into this story. 
because it's clear. It's, it follows kind of this basic pattern. There's a character, a hero that wants something and has to overcome some obstacle to get it. That's kind of the basic tenet of any story. And so we get sucked into this because this commercial allows us to feel this story. I see so many tears this morning based on this commercial, which is awesome. I'm not going to point you out, but I love it. It proves my point. Stories work. Now, not only do stories help us understand our life, but kind of every story, like the one we just watched, in general, follow a basic pattern, a basic outline, a basic set of steps that each one goes through. Now, there have been kind of different language put around this and different numbers of steps, but in general, there are kind of seven basic steps that every story follows. Now, you can take any movie or TV show that you've watched, any book that you've read, any story that you know, and in general, it's going to fit this pattern. Now, here's the problem with me showing you this, though. It's going to ruin every movie or TV show that you ever watch in the future because it gives you some idea of what's about to happen next. Here are the seven parts of pretty much every story. Seven parts. You have a character who experiences some call to adventure. Something goes wrong. There's something that kind of shakes them out of normal life and calls them to adventure. Then they meet a guide. This guide helps them develop and gives them a plan to navigate the situation that they just came out of. Eventually, They're presented with a call to action, an opportunity to make a choice. Will they respond to that or not? And then, based on that action, there's an outcome. They either are met with success or met with failure. I know all of you are already trying to apply this to the stories that you know. Let me help you out. Here's the way it plays out in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Now, Luke... He experiences this tragedy, his aunt and uncle are killed, he's kind of thrust into the story while he's also trying to navigate, is he, how does he become a Jedi? He meets someone, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who begins to teach him, to train him, to show him how to potentially use the Force in his own life. He tells him to trust the Force, gives him the ability to do that, and then there's an opportunity, I think that's me, an opportunity for Luke to use what he's learned, the plan that he's been given to try and go defeat the Empire. Well, he has this choice. Is he going to attack the Death Star or not? He chooses to. In the midst of that, he uses the Force to help him shoot the little thing. I forget what it's called. There's like that one little part, which is a really bad schematic design. If you're building like this mega, you know, weapon, it's like one little thing that can be destroyed. Anyway, not the point. And he saves, he saves the day. Now, I'll also show you what this looks like. In the newest Star Wars movie. Ready? It's exactly the same thing. Rey has an experience where she's thrust into a new world to try to decide whether or not she's able to become a Jedi. She meets a guide, not named Obi-Wan Kenobi, but named Luke Skywalker, who helps her understand how to use the Force. She has the opportunity to go defeat the Empire. She chooses to. She kills the Emperor, and she saves the day. They really started to get creative in these new Star Wars movies. Now, not every part, not every step in this story pattern is the same. They're not all kind of weighed equally. Some are more important to moving the story along than others. And so this morning, I want to talk about the first kind of key significant step in any story. And it's this one. 
It's the call to adventure. This is the thing that shakes us out of normal life and starts the story in motion. Here's a a way to describe a call to adventure. It's when the hero is informed of a danger or need facing the larger community. The hero may be specifically asked to take up the journey and may react to an existing situation. It's something that pushes them out of their comfort zone. Now, this call to action can be based on an external conflict or internal conflict. It can happen in a variety of different ways. And this is something that kind of starts the story in motion. Now, this isn't just something, though, that's unique to, like, the movies that we watch and the TV shows that we see. But this call to adventure is something that we find all throughout Scripture. This invitation to experience a journey, to experience something kind of beyond normal life. Kind of famously, we can see this call to adventure in the story of Moses. Moses, the prince born in Egypt, ends up killing a man. That's kind of the thing that starts this whole story in motion. He flees, and for 40 years, he's out in the middle of the wilderness tending sheep. He's created a new normal life. And then all of a sudden, one day, he's kind of walking his sheep along, and he sees a bush burning. And he goes to investigate this burning bush. And this is what happens next. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God, or when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And then Moses replied, here I am. And then here's the call to adventure. The Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. So come. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then Moses' story begins. And there's all sorts of trials and challenges and difficulties, and there's some successes and there's some failures. And it's not a very simple story. It's complex, and all of the really interesting ones have kind of highs and lows and things that the hero does well and things that the hero fails at, because otherwise if it was just the hero had an opportunity to go on an adventure, and then they defeated the bad guy in the first scene, and they all be very short, very boring stories, and none of us would be interested in them. But this is what happens to Moses. Another example of this call to adventure occurs in the Gospels when Jesus begins to gather his disciples to him. So this comes out of the Gospel of Matthew. Notice that in each of these examples, these call to adventures happen in the early chapters of these stories. So in Exodus 3 and then in Matthew 4. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, come, that's that word of invitation, that call to adventure, come, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now, We all are living out a story. Our stories don't always kind of take these nice, neat, clean steps like we saw in kind of the seven-step pattern of any story. But we're all on a journey. We all want things for ourselves and our families and these desires, these needs. They launch us into adventures. They launch us into stories. But the real power of a story, the real depth to the story is not whether or not the hero achieves their goal. That's not what's interesting to us about the stories. What's interesting to us about the stories 
is who the hero becomes in the process. Through a series of trials and tests and challenges and struggle, the hero learns more about themselves, their weaknesses, learns about their abilities, and learns how to navigate and overcome all of the obstacles in our life. My guess is, if you think about the most formative periods of your life, the seasons, the times where you experienced kind of great difficulty, those were also the most profound moments of your life. You you see, we tend to shy away from this struggle, from this difficulty, because it feels hard in the moment. We don't want it. It feels foreign. We'd rather stay in our normal life as things were before. But when we're presented with this difficulty and this challenge, it shakes us out of our routine, and it invites us into a greater, better, more interesting adventure and story. And it's in that place that we struggle and we wrestle and we inevitably learn about ourselves. It doesn't mean that it always ends with a success, but it always leads to change and to transformation and it leads to growth. And that's the really, really important part about this call to adventure. In every story, especially our own, the hero has to struggle with the call. Because if the hero experiences the call to adventure and Moses immediately marches into Egypt and leads the Israelites out of captivity, we would not remember this story. It would be boring. This is why we don't like super teams in sports. It's not interesting. We love an underdog. We want to see somebody struggle and fight and climb their way over insurmountable obstacles. That's why we all kind of have these David and Goliath moments and archetypes in our own lives because there's something about the struggle that we gravitate towards because we recognize whether it's conscious or not that this struggle is actually what it means to be human it's not the absence of difficulty it's not the absence of challenge or hardship but being human means wrestling with the obstacles that are in front of us and so every hero has to struggle with the call in kind of two primary ways One is physical, and the other is like emotional or spiritual. Now, the way that the hero wrestles with the call and struggles with the call on a physical level is it has to be an obstacle greater than their understanding of their own ability. It has to be something bigger than what they know they can handle. Otherwise, it's not interesting. It's not challenging. It's not difficult. It's why we love stories about people who push themselves and dare and risk and achieve because we recognize the stakes that are involved. But because the stakes are so high, it inevitably leads us to a place where we begin to doubt and we begin to wonder and we begin to recognize our own frailties and shortcomings. We've all had these moments in our lives where we recognize that we weren't smart enough, we weren't funny enough, we weren't charming enough, we weren't pretty enough. Whatever the enough was that we felt or perceived in our own life, we didn't have what we felt like it took to navigate the challenge or the obstacle in front of us. We knew what we wanted on the other side of it, but we looked in the mirror and we doubted what we saw. And what this happens in this moment is when we recognize our own limitations, it leads us to the second way that the hero wrestles with and struggles with this call to adventure. It's on an emotional, spiritual level, and it begins to plant seeds of doubt in our own life. We begin to become uncertain as to whether or not we have what it takes. We lose confidence. We retreat. We step back. We give up. 
we numb, we close ourselves off to all of the things that feel hard because we don't think we have what it takes to move past it. Now, in the stories and the movies and the TV shows that we watch, there's always kind of some essence, some ability, some power, whether magical or not, kind of outside of the hero that lends them the extra strength that they need. Sometimes it's buried deep within. It's a recognition of their true birthright or their true identity, or they come in contact with some kind of magic elixir or magic kind of secret, you know, that helps them navigate this conflict. But here in the real world, unless you're a person of faith, there's no magic. Nobody's coming to save you. Which is why I think that's the great power of the Christian story is because in moments of great difficulty, when we feel this call to adventure and we wrestle and we struggle and we begin to recognize our own shortcomings and our own limitations and we begin to doubt and lose confidence, we recognize that it doesn't have to be based on just us. There is a power outside of ourselves working within us, helping us navigate this. Listen to how the Apostle Paul writes about this process, this struggle, and this growth and transformation that happens within the life of a Christian. Listen to the way that he puts it in Romans 5. Suffering, struggling with this call, the risks, the challenges, the trials, the tests, it produces endurance. And endurance, it produces character. It begins to shape you, to form you. This is what makes stories interesting, is the transformation that happens in the life of the hero. And that character, it produces the thing that we've been missing, the thing that we've lost. It produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because it's not a hope in ourselves. It's not a hope in our own abilities or how great or talented we are. It's a hope because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now, in many ways... My confirmands this morning, you're standing at a call to adventure. You're being presented with an opportunity to step out of what has been and into something brand new. Kind of up until this point, your faith has been something that's been bequeathed to you by your parents in whatever form it has been presented. You've gone to church because your parents bring you to church. You know the stories of the faith based on what's been shared to you. But here in a few moments, in the service that follows, you'll have the opportunity to accept that call to adventure, to begin to start your own journey and your own story. And it's a really exciting story that you get to live into. Now, for all of us, though, not just those who are being confirmed, here in a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion. And communion, once again, is an opportunity to be reminded of the call to adventure that's been placed on our lives the story that we have waiting for us, the opportunity to participate in and live into a truly better story. And so as you come forward here in a few moments to receive the bread and the juice, it's a reminder, one, of the call to adventure, but two, that you don't struggle alone, that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is working in and through you, giving you, strength and ability beyond your own measure. 
And so in those moments where we wrestle and struggle and doubt, may communion remind us of the hope that we have of the one who's at work within us. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to celebrate communion together. But as we do, I hope that you will think about that call to adventure. And I hope that you will answer the call. Let's pray. Gracious God, in these moments, we are grateful for the reminder of your love for us and the way that your love is continually working in our lives. As we receive these gifts of bread and juice, allow them to strengthen us and to nourish us and transform us closer into the example of your son. It's living in his example that we have power beyond our own. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.